Ali, is she in there? There, well, you can't really see. You see, you see Timothy's white face right there in the middle. To, on his, the right side, his right, our left, so our left, his chin, that girl with her mouth open, that's Molly. And that's uh, part of our extended family. And uh, we get to be a part of her life. She's beautiful. I just want to point her out because she's special to me. So anyway, all right, Maddie, why don't you share and begin, and then we'll just go down the line, okay? Okay, hi. Um, so everyone will probably say the same thing, but... You can't really sum up what God did in two weeks and five minutes, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just give you a little piece of I think you know even as I was thinking about it and praying about it, um, you know there were there were so many things and so many things kept coming to mind of you know things God did in my heart and my call to missions and my identity and even things in the camp of you know these Hindus getting saved and there's just so so many stories and amazing things that God did. Um, but, you know, one specific thing, so I kind of went into the trip and I had this sort of emotionless feeling towards God. Um, it was like my head had got it. Like I was still worshiping and I was still praying and I was still reading my Bible and I got it, but there was some disconnect in my heart and my heart wasn't moved and my heart wasn't feeling anything. Um... And so I kind of went into India with this position towards God of like, all right, God, your move. You know, if you, if you really want me to worship you in spirit and truth, you have to give me your spirit. And um, it was through several conversations and just revelations I had where God kind of woke me up to this idea of, like, you keep waiting for me to pour out my spirit, but I already have. And it's already in you, and it's already empowering you. And you're just not walking in the truth of that. And it was this idea of, you know, God is active. And he's actively, he's actively pouring his love out on me. And he's actively moving. And I kind of had this passive approach to waiting for God. Um, and so even in that, you know, it was like as soon as my mind switched from, you know, this passive waiting to this active you know, pursuing the heart of God, um, that I just had this awareness of, of what God was doing and how he was moving. And even if my heart wasn't necessarily stirred, um, it, it was, you know, even, even if the emotions weren't maybe what I expected them to be, um, like my heart was, was still stirred and my heart was still moving. Um, and so even in that one story is, uh, so I was at helping with the junior camp, so with the little kids. Um, and the theme was was royalty and they're princes and princesses of God. And, um, and so the one day the lesson was, I'm important to the kingdom. And I gave the devotion in the morning on um, you know, how, who the kingdom is and, you know, what, who you can bring the kingdom to. And so the activity for the younger kids was during this time of devotion to draw a picture of um, someone they could bring the kingdom to. So someone they could be Jesus to. And um, I think it was Catherine who, when she was collecting the papers, um, little seven-year-old Peter, and, and Peter is, has, is the sweetest-looking kid with his big eyes, and he's very energetic and crazy and funny. Um, and so Catherine collects his paper, and on his paper is a person standing up, and then there are all these people laying down. And Catherine, you know, asking Peter, who, who are these people laying down? And he goes, oh, well, they're dead people. Catherine's like, okay, well, why, how are you, how are you being Jesus to these dead people? And Peter goes, well, of course, I'm raising them from the dead. And, and so then, so I hear that, and then I go into my small group. And in the small group, there were um, five uh, 11 to 12-year-olds who weren't quite ready for the older camp. Um, and when I say the every other line was, yeah, so when I was talking to Jesus, Jesus told me this. Like, talking to Jesus was the most normal thing ever. And it was just this idea of, like, that's the reality of God that these kids are living in. That, like, why wouldn't he let me raise people from the dead. Like, he did it in the Bible. Why, why wouldn't I believe him for that? 
And why wouldn't Jesus speak to me like anyone else would speak to me? Because I'm in relationship with him, and I love him. And I was like, what have I not tapped into? And Tammy said during one of her talks that she doesn't know what it's like to not live without miracles. And it was really convicting because I can't say the same. Like, I know what it's like to live without miracles. I do it most days. And just this idea of, like, what, what part of God, like, what am I not believing God for? Like, I have this, this tiny view of who God is and what he wants to do. Like, maybe he'll give me a feeling during worship, or maybe I'll have more than 30 minutes in my quiet time. But, like, I think we just have such a narrow view of, of what it is God wants to do. Um, but then on the flip side of that, but then I guess it's actually not the flip side. It's kind of the same side. Um, is uh, the one day we were at Home of Hope, and there's so many stories from Home of Hope, but just one. Um, and Home of Hope is, is a ministry we went to, and it's um, basically a home for, for the dying in India. And um, so I went, and there was a, a woman, and she was old, and she was uh, laying on like her towel under um, sort of a fountain in the shade. And I went over and sat down next to her, and as soon as I sat down, she grabbed my hand uh, and started talking. And there are a ton of different languages in India. Uh, I just knew that she wasn't speaking English, and I didn't understand what she was saying. And so I'm sitting there, and she, you know, she'd shake her head and pause every once in a while, and I'd shake my head back, like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I don't. And um, it was just the incredible tension of all I want to do is have a conversation with you and hear what it is you're saying and what it is you want me to hear and respond, and I can't do that. Um, and even in that, it was like, okay, Jesus, you've given me this expectation of you and your power. And so I know, you know, because you, you said it in Scripture that you could make me understand her and you could make me speak to her in her language. Like, I could do that. And it was in that that God was very clearly like, yes. Good. Thank you for expecting more of me than you ever have before. But this is where my glory is right now. And, and you think it's simple and you think it's, you know, it's not as profound. It doesn't make for as good of a story, but it's this is my glory. Like you just listening to this old dying woman who you can't even understand. That's where my glory is. And that's what I want you to see. And it was in that moment like I had this profound moment with the heart of Jesus, listening to this crazy woman speaking in a language I didn't even understand. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Good job. Hi, everybody. Uh, I, I went. I didn't really want to go. I guess I can confess that now that he hasn't kicked me off the trip, but Three of the four people sitting in the second row had been already and had amazing encounters with the Lord, and they really wouldn't be quiet about it. So uh, I went really to shut them up, and uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm hungry for the Lord. I'm glad that I went, but going to 95 degrees every day is not my idea of a place I want to go. Send me to the cold. Uh, I'm happy to do that, but it, it was really, there was uh, some physical suffering uh, for me, so uh, I, I didn't want to do it, but I, I was hungry for the Lord for myself, and uh, I didn't go with any expectations whatsoever. Um, but I felt the presence of the Lord the moment we stepped on this compound. Uh, after about 18 hours of, of flying and traveling, I was totally exhausted, as was everyone else. But these, uh, they're adopted, right? I mean, that's, they're, they're not orphans anymore. They've been adopted by a single a woman named Tammy, and uh, they pray for all their needs. And I know that some of the people in this room actually give uh, to this family or, or uh, sponsor some of the children there, but uh, they uh, rely on God to give them everything, and they expect God to give them everything. And, and part of that is he, he gives his spirit, uh, and, it, and it's a profoundly felt, uh, and that was refreshing Really, from the first moment I stepped onto the compound, I felt the Lord, and uh, I knew it was going to be a good trip. So as Maddie said, it's hard to really succinctly put two weeks uh, of, of what we went through and all we, we saw and experienced. But um, 
I think one one story I'll share was, excuse me, we, we put on a camp. We drove uh, eight hours away, put on a camp, and these children invite invited some of their friends and some of the people they casually know and wanted uh, to encounter the Lord. Some of them were strong Hindus, and we, we, we drove to this place, put on a camp, and part of the camp was games and fun and and there was some teaching and and worship and uh, small group time and uh you know plenty of free time so they could get together with their friends but we were really there to support the the young ones here as they ministered to their friends so uh one of the things that I was able to do was be part of a small group where I led a group of four boys from 12 to 15 years old after uh, the uh, teaching in the morning and worship. And uh, one of the boys, uh, three of the four boys actually uh, were not from this home, and they were uh, orphans themselves, and which really profoundly impacted me. The, the, the Bible really came alive as I saw. They were all believers, uh, and uh, one of them, he, he was... Uh, of a strong Hindu family, and he had some sort of uh, blood disease uh, where his legs would swell up and he couldn't move, and uh, his family took him to the Hindu temple, and they, the leader, whatever, priest, whatever they are, I'm not sure what, what, what the leader is called, but told the family, you know, say your goodbyes because the kid's going to die. And he happened to have a, a missionary uncle that lived in the country, and uh, wanted to pray, wanted to take him and pray for him. And the, the Hindu uh, family said, absolutely no way. And which is shocking because they'll accept a God in absolutely anything. And you know, even this microphone there, I don't know how they come to who the God is, but 300 million plus gods they'll accept and, and worship, but you can't worship Jesus. So, uh, you know, go figure. I mean, there must be something in that name. But uh, the uncle, yeah, so the, the uncle uh, ended up stealing the kid when the, when the parents were away and took him to wherever this ministry was. And they prayed for him. He was healed. And, yeah, yeah, go God. Uh, and, and the kid comes back, tells his parents he's healed. And what do they do? They throw him away. And he was one of two in that group that had been thrown away under similar circumstances. Parents just don't want anything to do with him anymore, so they just threw him out. And he ends up in a home uh, somehow. And uh, the power of adoption, and that's what the Lord really showed me, is how he adopts us. And he, this kid was probably 14, 15 years old, and when he prayed, he would... You know, thank you, Lord. And he would quote book, chapter, verse. And he knew the Bible backwards and forwards so much so that he was actually going around uh, India now sponsored preaching. So uh, where uh, others are thrown away and live in the gutter, he's thrown away. God encounters him and puts his spirit in him in such a powerful way that he knows the Bible, he trusts the Lord, he sees him work. And that's, I really identify with what Maddie said. I, I want to see miracles, but I don't need them. I, I'm able to supply all my needs. I mean, the Lord is a miracle that he lets me take another breath. But in terms of really needing the God, God to, move, to move, I don't, I don't need him to. I, I'm able and I pray for God to move, but they absolutely have no other option and he shows up in a powerful way and and he did with this kid and uh he ministered to me i mean as he prayed he had words of knowledge he knew things about me owning a business he could, just could not know and uh so i i really got to see the the bible come alive and and i think one other thing I, you know it says that you know god is the most high god and, and there's, you know, Jesus is the name above every other name. Well, that doesn't 
you know, I pray that when people, someone has cancer, like, Lord, you're, Jesus, you're above cancer. Your, your name is above the name of cancer. But I didn't, it didn't really come alive until I see that there are 300 million gods. And it's an affront to them to say that, that ours is the most high God. And, and they, they'll accept anyone, as I said before, but to accept Jesus is, is absolutely unacceptable. And it really, you know, there's the man in the Bible that, that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I, and I still pray that. And, and to see that there is some power in this name that they will accept any God but this one name. And you cannot, even logically, excluding spirituality, it just doesn't make sense why anyone would accept anything but that one name. And so uh, I think at the time when, when the scriptures were written, obviously there were lots of gods and they worshipped in ways that we don't worship now. Um, and so it really helped the word come alive to me and to know that the, a lot of the world is still this way where there are openly and we're too Western, our, our thinking, we don't, we don't identify with gods and bow down to them in the ways that they do. And so uh, when, the, when the Lord said, I am the most high God, uh, he, he was challenging uh, things that they accept on a daily basis, other gods, a myriad of gods. So uh, I, was, I was grateful for that. And the Lord encountered me in a lot of very personal ways, challenged me humbled me in, in a lot of ways, but uh, he was gentle and he knows what we need. And most importantly, he gave me a re- tons of refreshing. And so I was so, so grateful and grateful for my friends for giving me such a hard time until I finally went. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. So thank you. <clears throat> well, I was kind of nervous in the beginning of this trip because I'll be really honest with you. I felt the driest I've ever felt in my life and been on many mission trips before and the one thing that you know you're going to do is you're going to give you're going to give of your emotions you're going to give of the Jesus inside of you you're just going to give 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 and so you know we're going to a place that has 40 plus kids and I'm like God I'm in no position to spend 15 days giving of myself because I was just dry like, just so completely dry. So I was nervous. And I remember the first day we were there just sitting at one of the eating tables, and I was talking to Steve, and I was just telling him where I was at. And I knew on this trip I was going to have to, like, really rely on the grace of God. And uh, and I think the first step for me in this trip of where I felt uh, God was, you know, through Steve talking and just through time with the Lord, um, I just heard God say, it's okay it's okay that you're dry. It's okay that you're dry. Like, just tell me that you're dry. And I found this in myself, just trying to, like, guard and hide from God that, like, I was weak and I, and I didn't have anything to give. And he's like, tell me that. Like, it's okay. Tell me. You know, and so the first part of me was just being honest with God, and, you know, and where I was at. And um, just real quickly, I just want to share the two things that impacted me the most. Um, you know, the whole trip I thought I was going to give and really... I received so much encouragement and so and heard from the Lord through these kids like I've never I never have before. And the two areas, of course, are prayer and worship for me. Um, worship first, the you know right before we went to camp, we got all the kids packed into a room and we're just going to spend time in worship and prayer, just asking God, you know, for the unsaved people that were coming, asking God to come to camp. And you know, here's me in the back, just in my dry state, like I don't want to worship. I don't want to pray. You know, I mean, like the whole whole, being completely honest with God and the music turns on. And it was like, what are those things called? Defibrillators? What are those called? Whatever those things called. And it like shocks you back into life. Like the moment the first song came on, these kids just like erupted in worship to God. And it was almost like like really like a riptide of you just had to like go with it. Or, like, leave the room, you know? And so, like, for me, and I want you guys to know, like, as a worship leader, like, I'm, I'm not spiritual, like, 99% of the time. 
like leading you guys in worship, leading other peoples in worship, like it's really, really hard sometimes. And a lot of times you, you know, you guys come in and you've had work all week and your families and you have all these needs. And here I come, this little like 23 year old girl. And I'm like, come on guys, let's worship Jesus. Like he's worth it. Like trying to convince you guys, like, like he's good. Like I'm proud of anybody, you know, he's good. I feel like that's kind of in a sense, the, the, idea of what a worship leader is like begging christians to worship during the service you know and so like for the first time and it was like the most refreshing thing and i felt like a dream got birthed in my heart like i just opened my eyes and i just watched these kids i mean from two to twenty something just gush their love and their worship for jesus and i didn't have to leave them i didn't have to be a part of it i could just watch them and it like it like covered my heart like it was so thick and rich that i was like god this is this is what makes me want to be a worship leader like if i could be in a place where people worship like this all the time like i would do this forever i would do this forever every day every hour count me in you know and so it was just a very like refreshing thing for me and even at camp you know i just kind of shared some of my frustrations of you know i'm up there leading worship and there's unsaved people and christian people and everyone's getting ministered to but i felt like there was just this glass wall between me and them and i'm like god i just feel like i'm not connecting i'm just dry i'm just i don't know i just don't feel you and then afterward the testimonies of through through the worship i found god through the worship he revealed himself to me i've never felt god before like that than when you're up there when you're singing and you're playing and i was like what is the deal like surely this must not i mean i guess this is how god works but like i didn't feel a thing like i could try to go through the wall and try to participate but it was just like i'd hit my head every time like i can't i want to experience it too you know and i just didn't but they would come up afterward and say Oh, I felt Jesus through your worship. And so it was just so completely humbling um, and so refreshing, which leads me to the next part of um, not just their worship, but their prayer. Oh, with their worship. Guys, they sing so loud. I just want to encourage you right now. They sing so loud that it was like I didn't even have to leave them. Like literally, if I would have gotten off the stage and disappeared, they would have kept going because they didn't need me. And, like, that, again, like, that is, like, the dream of my heart is to, like, be a part of a body of believers that they don't need a worship leader. Like, I know I have a job here, but I don't want a job here, if you know what I mean. Let me keep my job. But still, you know my heart. Like, like my goal is to disappear because you guys can just worship freely with, like, an overflow of heart, you know. And so I got to experience that, and it was just so good. Um, So sing loud. That really helps me out a lot. Um, And through prayer, uh, I think it was just amazing. The the culture of prayer that they have at this place is is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I've been involved in prayer meetings, and it's hard to get people to pray, and it's hard to pray just in general. But, um, you know, again, in my dry state and in just kind of like my funk, I have these little precious little indian children's come up and say harvest auntie can i pray for you the lord give me a word for you and i'm like okay <laughs> you know and i'm just sitting there a mess and and they would they would prophesy over me and pray things over me and they literally like these past two weeks they were the voice of god over me like if i couldn't hear god for myself like i promise you they heard god's voice for me and they would just tell me over and over again how much god loves me and how much he's called me and how like all these things that i know but because it was from them and i know that they have they know nothing about me it was like this is god this is god from a four-year-old little indian orphaned girl and she's speaking god's voice over me like that is the most humbling thing i think you can never be you know ever be a part of and um i just think it's amazing you know i try not to compare you know the the culture that Tammy has created at Crew Bay and kind of like American culture here because I feel like that can just get very dangerous. But I think Tammy has done something that's so remarkable because she is a woman of prayer and she's a woman that has a deep relationship with God and she can tell you stories after stories of how she's encountered God in different ways. 
Um, but the one thing that she does is, like, these, these kids didn't just, like, sprout up and it's like, I love Jesus. I want to pray. I want to prophesy. She had to teach them these things. Like, she had to show them through her life, through her relationship, through her walk with the Lord, like, hey, if you're going to be my kid, if you're going to be my child, if you're going to come into my house, this is how we worship. This is how we pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a new word. It's called prophecy. You know, like, just that her, her leading, like, by her example, these kids, they, they know how to access God like I never have before. And it's, like, way beyond little, like, VBS Bible puppets and, like, all these little skits and games you can do. Like, guys, these kids prophesy. Like, they hear from God. And so I just want to encourage the parents here that have young kids you know, you know, we say, well, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you is the same Holy Spirit the kids get. And I'm like, no, that's, it's like real. Like, they're not little kids in my eyes. They're like mature believers in the Lord because they hear from him. And so I just want to challenge the parents. Like, live how you want your kids to live. Like, if you, if you want your kids to have a prayer life, have a prayer life and show them how. If you want your kids to prophesy, you show them what it means to prophesy, to hear from God, to read the word, to have a relationship with him. Like, those kids really are going to change the world. And it's because it's been modeled for them how to do that. And it's through a relationship with Jesus. So I'm so blessed and still trying to figure out everything that happened. And, um, yep, that's it. Oh, I thought you were going to play piano for me. <laughs> so Scott Crawford has sort of like rules for coaching people on how to give testimonies to make them like impactful. I'm pretty sure I'm going to break every single one of them. Um, so sorry, Scott. Um, I learned a lot of things on this trip. Um, and, and all of it was sort of by experience. Um, I learned that if I say things that are sort of outlandish and over the top... I can make Brit Harbor laugh out loud anytime I want to. And not just like, haha, but like out loud, out loud. Like LOL, laugh out loud. Um, I learned that Steve is really good and brutally competitive at Foursquare. Um, to the point of making like, see that little girl in the purple right there on the left, right there? Her name is Somia. Like to making her like, oh man, I'm never going to win. Um, <laughs> you think I'm joking. Um, Oh, and by the way, just so you know, so y'all can get a picture of it, the sort of towards the bottom, the guy with the green on the right right there, that's Peter. So put that kid in Maddie's story and you kind of get where she was going. Um, I, I also learned what it's like to be a part of something like real time, be a part of something that is deeply inspiring and incredibly challenging. I think it's, there, it's you sort of have these rare moments when you get to participate in something that is much bigger than you and outside of you, and it, and it inspires you to be way more than you are, and it challenges you at the same time. Um, I think a good example of this, I remember where I was in 2004 when uh, the Boston Red Sox came back from three games down to beat the New York Yankees. I actually watched a documentary about it a little while, and I remember I was in my room at the Citadel in the barracks, and every time the, the Red Sox won, our entire b battalion erupted because it was like history in the making. It was this incredible feat that had never been done in all of baseball history of coming back that much. And, and we kind of realized, like, this is amazing. We, I mean, this is sports history. And, and, and in a small way, that depicts what I, I really feel like we're doing. Like, I feel like I was actually a part of something that, that the Lord is doing that is, that is really, really amazing. Um, I'm going to kind of narrate how I, how I learned, how I came to that conclusion through a couple of stories. But um, I have to say this first. When we were sitting with Tammy, and she had this thing called teaching time with Tammy. That's a lot of tease. Um, she was, I think it was a bus or maybe a house or a new home for some kids or something like that. But they were in a, they were in a pretty significant financial need. And she basically had a, had a choice between saying, okay, I'm going to advertise and broadcast this need. I need X amount of dollars by this amount of time or, or not. And she said she was praying for the Lord. And she basically made up her mind, like, I'm going to do this. And so she was praying. And the Lord said, Tammy, these kids don't need a new bus. They need to know me and trust me. And you need to teach them how to pray. 
And it's that spirit of knowing who God is, knowing, knowing Jesus intimately and personally and trusting his character and, and continually going to him as their only source. And it just bleeds everywhere. It just gets all over everybody everywhere. And the way this played out for me, I mean, we went to camp and immediately I had a, uh, I had a, I had a guy in my small group. And towards the end, um, it, it was pretty powerful the way that sort of the spirit of Caruby Holmes impacted him. But he started and he said, um, a couple years ago, my dad committed suicide. And recently my mom died of cancer. And I'm, I'm living in a rescue home right now. I was like, oh, so what do I do here? And it was very liberating. I, I had nothing to do. Like Jesus was there and, and he intersected this. His name was a shook. He intersected a shook's life. You know, we hear all these like radical big stories. And Ashok said in the very beginning, he said, I just have a really difficult time like getting to know people and making friends. And at the end of the camp, I was talking to him. I was like, okay, guys, what, what happened um, at, at camp? What has Jesus done for you? And he said, Jesus helped me make friends. And I was like, oh, so powerful. You know, I made friends with a guy named Radha Krishna. Radha Krishna last year accepted Jesus. He's from a really, really, really strong Hindu family. So much so to the point that when he accepted Jesus last year, his father, father basically beat him for a long time every day when he went home because he was a Christian. And Radha doesn't have a church. He doesn't have believers um, encouraging him. And so he says, you know, no one was there to disciple me. So Jesus discipled me. You know, Tammy said he, he came to her home one time, managed to get away and comes to her home and said, Tammy, I had a dream last night and I was standing there with Jesus I don't know if this is in the Bible. I really need your help. And a dove came and landed on my shoulder, and God told me I was his son, and he was pleased with me. I'm like, you pray, you pray for me? Like, I don't know what to do with that, you know? And then we have our first, we have our first time of testimonies. Uh, Tammy's kids would lead the service in the morning. We have our first time of testimonies. And Alia gets up, and he's, like, talking about the power of God and the power of forgiveness and Jesus' control in your life. And he talks about, you know, I, I watched my brother kill my father. But I, I was able to forgive my brother. I'm like, what? Like, I have trouble forgiving people who cut me off in traffic. Like, what it, what's going on here? And so it's just stories like this over and over and over again at this camp. And then we get back. And I, and I made pretty good friends with uh, Tamil. He's up there on the top left-hand corner, really big smile. Um, and, and Tam, I mean, gosh, he's incredible. And we get back, and Tamil at breakfast, he says, hey, can we meet and talk later? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he said, let's do it after lunch. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so then at lunch, I'm sitting there at this table. I'm kind of finishing my rice. That's another thing. I learned I, learned I can eat a lot of rice, like way more than I ever thought possible. And so I'm sitting there, and um, I watched Tammy break the news that, that Tamil's biological father's passed away while we're at camp. And he was weeping, just unconsolable. And so I'm like, okay, you know, uh, we, we can talk later if he wants to talk at all, like later this week. And he comes and grabs me, and we sit down, and he tells me the story, and he talks about how good Jesus is. I'm like, that's unbelievable. And so we just, I, I, I kept seeing all these stories just coming and coming, and how the spirit of knowing Jesus, trusting him, and asking him for things is just bleeding all over everyone. And it challenged me so deeply. It challenged me in the way I followed Jesus, because I realized I'm, I am, in, a, in an essential sense, not like, you know, Britt Brit made a good point that we're, we kind of have it on our own. But in a more essential sense, I, I'm not less needy than that. I don't need Jesus in my spiritual life less than him. Them, excuse me. If he doesn't show up for me, I'm sunk. Like, for real. And so I should have the same level of expectancy, the same level of hunger that they do. And the Lord reminded me, um, Paul is talking about his ministry in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about rights and all these things that he can or can't do. And um, he says, I would rather die than have someone deprive me of my right to boast. And his right to boast was laying things down so that the gospel of Jesus could be known. And so I came back and I'm like, Jesus, what can I give up so that you are bigger in my life, so that I, so that I sense you more, so that other people see a difference? In my, what can I give up? Because I would rather die than be deprived of that right. And, and, and finally, it, it really changed the way that I saw um, the way I lead people to follow Jesus. Because um, Tammy, is a, she's, she's a mom. I mean, those, those are her kids. They don't look at themselves as, as orphans or adopted. They are Tammy's kids. They, they, she is their mom. Really. 
but but she's also a youth pastor too, essentially. I mean, I saw her doing things with these kids that, that just floored me. And it made me realize I have a really big responsibility. Um, I, ha- I have a big responsibility to offer your students nothing but Jesus and, and, and convince them that he is worthy of their life. Like, if you don't have to talk your kids down off a gospel cliff, and what I mean by gospel cliff is like, I fully expect your kids at some point, if I'm doing my job well, to come to you kind of teary-eyed convinced that they're going to go to some far-flung region of the world and, and give their life away. Like, if you don't have to talk your kids out of that or process that with them, that Jesus is worthy enough for them to give away everything and go somewhere for him, then I'm probably not doing my job as well as I should be. Because he's, he's worth it. And, like, all these kids are showing me every time I'm talking that he's worth it. They show me he's worth it by the way they pray. By the fact they're going to go to places, they're prepared to be martyrs. They're showing me that they're, I mean, they're going to areas where people have never heard the name Jesus. And it's not that Tammy's sort of like, go do this. It's Jesus has told them to because they really know him and they really trust him. Thanks. Um, so let me just share a few, few minutes. I'll try to be done at quarter till, okay? So y'all can prepare plan and prepare for that. Um, so obviously when we look at Korea Bay Home, God's doing some, some powerful things. And we were, while we were there, we were humbled to be able to be a part of some of these powerful things. Obviously being a part of this camp and uh, God allowing us to partner with him in the ministry of, of sharing the gospel was, was amazing. And, and I think that um, the thing that was I was overwhelmed by, and we've kind of talked about it, was the nature of Jesus moving, number one, right? Jesus was moving in power. This is a success story of Jesus and no one else, right? I mean, literally, I told Tammy, I'm like, it's pointless for me to get up and speak, because all I have to do is offer an invitation, and they're going to give their lives to Jesus, is just the Spirit of God, the power of God was moving so powerfully, right? It was, it was legitimate. It was real. It was, it was crazy. Two, the understanding that how that was cultivated. These kids, for several months leading up to this camp, all these kids you see right here and right here, every week fasting and praying, every Sunday night, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, choosing to forego a meal for the purpose of seeking Jesus and asking him to move and save their friends, right? To, to, to pray that, they would, that their friends who did not know Jesus would get to know him. And when I say pray, I mean talking like going nonstop for an hour and a half. They say, pray for your friends. Yes, Lord. And they just go on and on and on until they're asked to stop to move on to the next thing. And I began to recognize that the movement of God was simply a response to these kids who had come and prayed and sought his face and cried out for their friends who were dying and did not know Jesus. And I was undone by this. As I watched, you know, one night, there's this kid named uh, Kirtana. She was, a, she was about a 16-year-old girl. She was a high-caste high, um, high Brahmin Indian. Um, and she, she goes, Steve, uncle. That's like kind of, you call them uncles and aunties in India. Steve, uncle, I need to talk to you. I was like, okay. Let's sit down. She's like, I need to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. I'm like, fantastic. And so we sat down in the middle of worship, and she proceeded to say, I have nightmares every night. Literally my entire life, I've had nightmares every night of my life until I came here, and Jesus took them away. And because of that, I gave my life to him and will follow him forever. And I just sat there and I just gave her a big hug, just watching this love of Jesus, setting her free from the thing that has held her in bondage. Her brother, Kaushik, Kaushik, Kaushik was just one of those kids. He's a troubled kid. She sat there and said, I need to tell you about him. He was a bad kid. I didn't know what to do with him. I can't believe he came second night there. Second night, had this 
interaction with Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to Kalshik in the middle of worship. He said, I have to give my life to him. Everyone at the camp who knew him was shocked because he was one of those kids. You know what I'm talking about, right? One of those kids. The last night I was there, I spoke on being filled with the Holy Spirit because no one in their own strength can follow Jesus, especially when we're expecting all 15 of you Hindus who gave it to Jesus to suffer for the name of Jesus. I looked and said, all of you, you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus, not if, it's when. You're not allowed to follow Jesus. You're going to suffer for his name. And he says, will you please pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower me to go home and express the love of Jesus to those who are out here? Because it's going to be really, really hard. And I laid my hands on him in humility and said, Jesus, would you fill Kashuk with the Holy Spirit to empower him to be Jesus? That night we gave him one of those crosses. You know, those crosses that you wear, those like have nails on it, right? It's a cross. So he goes home wearing this cross and he gets there and realizes I probably shouldn't wear this because I'm going to I'm going to get in big trouble right I'm probably going to be beaten for this and so he takes his cross off and he sticks it somewhere in his room and his dad walks in and calls his name and says Kalshi come here and he comes in and his dad's holding the cross necklace and he looked at his son and says says do you love Jesus now Kaushik, with fear, said, yes, Dad, I love Jesus. And he handed the cross and said, wear it proudly. He said this, and this is the work of Jesus already moving in their family. He said, when I, listen, that's called provenient grace. God's already moving in advance, right, to prepare people's hearts to give their life to Jesus. He goes, when I was your age, I had a positive experience with a Christian. Maybe if I had the same opportunity to go to a camp like you did, maybe I would have given my life to Jesus and loved him also. But I think it's too late. Listen, that's called a holy setup. That man's given his life to Jesus. And Kaushik and Kirtana are going to lead him to Jesus. Powerful movement, right? Powerful movement. In my group, I had a, a small group. I had a kid named Iliaraj. Iliaraj, high-class Brahmin, the biggest kid at camp, right? First day in our group, we're going around, and I say, tell us, you know, tell us, you know, why you're here, what God's been speaking to you. And he goes, and Tamil's right here, top left, right? Tamil's been telling me about Jesus, uncle. He said, I like him, but not so much, <laughs> right? And I looked at him and said, hey, man, that's okay, there's no pressure. If you never give your life to Jesus, guess what? We'll still love you. It's not about, it's not, we don't love you because of what you do for us. We love you because of who you are, and so does Jesus. Tamil will love you forever, right? Tamil was like, yes, right? Second day, I, I look at us, we say to him, we, and the whole camp was like, if you just ask Jesus if he's real. If he's real, He'll let you know. If you want to be authentic, he'll let you know. So the next day he goes into the prayer and worship times. He didn't really like that part, right? So he's in there and he's closing his eyes and he asks Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you're real and authentic, let me know. And so we come into the small group and we're sitting there. I'm going to the group. He's third person. I said, tell me what God's been speaking to you. You know, and Sridhar went first. Uh, and then I'm drawing a blank on this guy's name, Joseph. And then all of a sudden, Elia Raj has this big grin on his face. I'm like, what's this going to be? He goes, I asked Jesus last night in worship and prayer if he was real. And he spoke to me and he said, Elia Raj, I am the chosen one. He didn't know that language, y'all. There was no history of that. He didn't have this in him. He had never heard that language before. But Jesus said, I am the chosen one. And he was very excited, but he was not ready to give his life to Jesus. The next day, we're in our morning prayer time and worship. And I'm watching as Sam Franklin and Simon come over and begin to pray for Eli Raj. You have to recognize Sam Franklin came to this camp because it was a free paid trip to come beat the snot out of Simon, who's his arch enemy. He literally came to camp to beat the, you know what, out of Simon. He's a bad kid. Everyone warned Tammy before he came. Watch out for Sam Franklin. He's not a good boy, right? And so Sam Franklin comes, right? Sam Franklin comes. 
second night, radical change of life, gives his life to Jesus, weeping and weeping, comes to Tammy and says, with Simon, and says, would you pray for us that we could be brothers forever and that we could serve Jesus? Second, next morning, here they are walking over together to lay hands on Eliarach and begin to pray for him and begin to share Jesus with him. And in the middle of it, Eliarach says this. He says, Steve, uncle, they were praying for me. And all of a sudden, Jesus came and he spoke to me and he said, Eliarach, I love you and I accept you as my son. And Eli Raj, I watched as he broke, I didn't know what happened, but I didn't hear the voice of God speaking to him. But I watched in the moment as he began weeping. And he said, if, he, says, he says, if you accept me, then I will accept you and I will follow you. I will, I will accept you and I will follow you. He wrote me a letter before I left and said, Steve, uncle, thank you. He said, thank you. He said, I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit scared because I have to go home and I'm going to follow Jesus and love him. And I'm scared of what's going to happen, Steve Uncle. Would you please pray for me? You want to talk about a serious conversion? He knew it was going to result in his personal suffering, but he was going to follow Jesus and love him anyway. You talk about a non-cheap gospel. The chief gospel says, give it to Jesus and everything's going to be fine and you're going to be happy for the rest of your life. That's a load of garbage. The true gospel is, follow Jesus, it's going to cost you your life and you're going to suffer for his name, but the end result is worth it. And here are these kids giving their lives to Jesus, following him, my sweet little Malika. She comes up to me the last day and she said, how was camp for you? She goes, uncle. She just begins to tear up. She goes, I am humbled in how I was so mightily used of God to bring salvation to my friends. She said, Uncle, every single one of my friends who came to camp gave their life to Jesus. Fifteen Hindus giving their life to Jesus. Unbelievable. Watching as these Karube kids, listen, believing God, trusting God, having faith that God is going to move in their life. Listen, they had every reason in the world to be offended by God. Literally, there's stories. This, Timothy shared a couple with you. It's all like that. All their parents have died. All their parents have suffered. All of these things. They have all the right in the world to be offended. How could God let this happen? Why are bad things happening? All of this stuff. But they would say this. And what Tamil's words were to Tammy when his dad died was this. He says, he said basically something like this. God loves me. God is for me. And I will not be offended. God loves me. God is for me, and I will not be offended in any of this. I will serve him. Listen, my prayer, listen, we've been, I know Scott, while I was gone, has been talking about this nature of being in the desert. And I know it's kind of difficult language sometimes to get our head around to understand fully, like, what is a desert, and what is a spiritual desert? And he used the word God-imposed desert. What does all that mean? It's kind of strange. What does this mean? It's really simple. It's really simple. God's desire is that every single one of you are so dissatisfied, discontent in life that he is the only thing that you can turn to that will satisfy. That is the desert. The place where you step into that God leads you. And the whole point, this is what it feels like. He takes you in and you feel frustrated. You feel angry. You feel sad. You feel anxious. You feel worried. Nothing in your life, right? No sport, no drug, no friend, no spouse, no kid. Nothing in your life ever actually satisfies you at all. You just feel discontent. You feel this angst inside of you. And God says, guess what? I led you there as a gift. I led you to this place in your life because it's the only place in dissatisfaction that you will look to me and say, nothing satisfies me, Jesus. Only you can. 
And the nature then for each of us in this place of a God-imposed desert is God saying, I love you too much to let you be in a place of no hunger and of no thirst and of a lackadaisical, lazy, apathetic relationship with me. I love you too much to let you stay there. I'm going to give you a gift. What gift is that? Holy dissatisfaction. My prayer for you this morning, I want you to know it very clearly. I want you to pray for it yourself. I prayed this morning that every single one of you would become the most dissatisfied people in the world. And that it would cause you in that desert place to go look for something to eat and something to drink. And when you get to the desert, the only thing that you find is Jesus. And the place that I, he's speaking in India to me is this nature saying, Steve, it's about faith and trust and believing me for things that are risky and that are dangerous. But you have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty. You have to want me with everything inside of you and to only be dissatisfied apart from me. Therefore, I'm going to take you into a desert. And then Monica comes up to me on Sunday night before, Saturday night before we leave, and she says, Uncle, I have something I feel like God wants to share with you. I said, share it with me. She said, I saw a camel in the desert being led by its master, and God said that you are the camel, and that God is the master. And that he has you in a desert because he is enough and he will lead you through it and give you life. And I said, you have no idea what's going on in my life. That's Jesus. Oh, right. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is moving. And only he satisfies. Thursday, we're going to have a time of prayer, a little bit of worship. And each of you who God is stirring something inside of you tonight, you need to be there. Because we're going to come and we're going to cry out to Jesus for hunger and for thirst and to awaken us from death and to bring us into life, to take us from hopelessness and to move us to hope so that we then can be like every single one of those stinking kids who says, Jesus, would you save those who are dying and going to hell and who are separated from you? Jesus, we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we'll be dissatisfied, Jesus, till all of them cry out to you and know you by name. That's what we're crying out for. So if God stirred anything in you this morning, I'm asking that you be here on Thursday night so that he can take us into the desert. He can speak to us. He can awaken us and give us fresh food and water to drink of his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your life. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts. God, I want to pray for each one of these kids who have given their life to Jesus. God, they gave their life to Jesus knowing they were going to suffer for your name probably. And we ask this morning that you would help them to suffer well. That they would not turn their back on Jesus. But in the midst of that, like Radha Krishna, who you spoke to personally and just begin to just unveil truth after truth after truth into his life. God, would you unveil your heart for each of them, God, that they would serve you and they would know you. And that God, the testimony would come out that they then were able to lead their own parents to Jesus. May their salvation lead to salvation for their entire family, Jesus. That's what we're believing you for, God. And that's what we're asking for. So, Holy Spirit, come and do this work. Raise up a gift of faith to believe you and to trust you and to not get offended at you when we don't get what we think we deserve. But, that Father, that we would say even when death comes, God is for me. He loves me, and I will not be offended. Jesus, have your way in us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.